1: It's that calling within that individual's life that is to be respected, it's to be appreciated, and it's to be honored. The calling of God on an individual's life. Whoever that individual is, wherever it is, once it's recognized as valid, once that individual, again, shows that he's exercising it in a proper way. As a matter of fact, in verse 13, Paul adds to this that we're to esteem them those that have the spiritual authority and leadership within the local church, that we are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I like that, for their work's sake. As Christians, we are all called by God to do
0: different jobs and roles. One of these roles is pastor and church leadership. Today, Pastor David reminds us that the Bible encourages us to esteem and respect pastors for their work's sake. These people are under God's authority to lead local believers. Their jobs are difficult and under constant attack from the enemy. Do you esteem your church authority and love? Do you value their God-given calling and desire to help them in their efforts? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with part 1 of today's message, Final Encouragement.
1: ask you this morning as we're beginning, how in the world are we to live the Christian life in a culture that is so antichrist? I mean, really, can, can we really and truly live life fully as, as a Christian in a culture that doesn't accept the message of the cross, nor, nor by and large do they even desire to be a part of the kingdom of God, at least not in a real and true biblical sense. Oh, there's a lot that have their own ideas, their own false doctrines that believe that they're a part of it, but in a real and true biblical sense, by and large, the world around us doesn't care about it. First of all, though, we need to remember the fact that the world basically is the same as it was during the time of Jesus as it was during the time of Paul, as it was during the time of Augustine, as it was during the time of Martin Luther, as it was during the time of Billy Graham's beginning of his ministries, and even today. Pretty much still the same. Some receive the message, most reject it. I believe that we can be in agreement with that. We have not, again, looked at, at, uh, at this wave that now most of the world are Christians. And I know that this, uh, again, it, it might seem like a pessimistic declaration, but it, it's really not. It's just the reality, and it's the reality of what Jesus taught. Again, that uh, narrow is the way, and few there be that, that find that way, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. When the message of the gospel is proclaimed in, in the truth of, of the word of God, in the reality of the fullness of the gospel, when it is proclaimed, some will receive it. But most won't. Most won't. And those that don't receive the message, by and large, they actually have no idea what real and true biblical Christianity really is. They have no, no concept of that. They, they've seen uh, again, perversions of what a Christian life is. They've seen uh, a, a, a comedy relief of what a Christian life is. They've seen the, the satirisms of, 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 again, what Christian life seems to be. But by and large, they have no idea what it really and truly means for a man, for a woman, for a family, for a young person to live a real and true and a full Christian life according to the gospel, according to the word of God that we have. Now, some are going to ignore it. And while others that don't receive it, they'll disdain it, they'll, they'll hate it. Some fear it and some actually seek to destroy it. We don't want that Bible stuff in here. And they'll do everything that they can to rid their own life as well as their own culture from it. It's, it's, it's that way now and, and beloved, it's always been that way. The message of the cross is really and truly, it's a message of a whole nother kingdom. A kingdom that, by and large, humanity knows nothing about. We might as well be speaking in many cases of life on another planet because they won't receive it. They cannot even comprehend the reality. It's a whole other realm. Now, Paul understood that that as, as the church here in Thessalonica was, again, they, they were under this continual persecution, not only from the pagan Roman culture that they lived in and that many of them even grew up in, but also from the Jews that were there in that culture. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. As we finish that book today, we're in chapter 5. We'll be on the last portion of it. Now, as Paul ministered to the church there in Thessalonica, he knew that within the church, there's gonna be these continual struggles. He struggles as as false teachers come up, as persecution comes in, the false teachers bring in false teaching, false doctrine, the persecution really presses the people on the outside, on their everyday life. Can you really and truly live a real Christian life in a culture that is anti-Christ? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. That's a question that we need to determine in our own lives. Paul understood that the church, literally any church of any culture, and I believe of any time, era, they could fall prey to a number of different attacks, both within and without. And as he's finishing up this first letter to the church there in Thessalonica, Paul gives several short, very final kind of words of instruction. They're they're words of instruction, words of encouragement, words of warnings about what it means for individuals to live a biblical Christian life in an anti-Christian culture. And now, what what Paul writes here, we need to understand, too, it's not totally all-inclusive. It's not everything that we need to know in just these short verses here. No, he just is giving some final thoughts as he's finishing up this letter. Definitely not all-inclusive, but some very important points that he makes here. Now, if we look at this section, and we're going to be beginning in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, beginning in, in verse 12, if we looked at it, depending upon the version of the Bible that you have, and we started numbering how many of these final instructions he gives, we're going to see that there's, in, in my version, the New King James Version, there's about 20 final points that he gives uh, in these last 29 verses. And in the midst of that, he also gives two verses that are just kind of a blessing to the church. And then he closes the whole thing with just a, a one verse quick prayer as he closes the whole letter out. So 20 final words of instruction, encouragement, and warning that he puts in about 26 of these 29 verses. Now, I don't know, maybe he was running out of time. Uh, maybe maybe uh, it just, there was something that needed to be done, so he quickly finished this letter. Maybe he was running out of papyrus. You know, uh, man, this is, my, this is my last page. I've only got so much, and it's like, How many of you remember back in the day, people actually used to write letters, you know, Uh, and now on, you know, electronically, you can just keep going and keep going, keep going ad nauseum, okay, but back then, we'd get to the end of the page, we'd kind of finish up things, or we'd write along the side of it, or, you know, start writing really small, and look at this here as Paul is finishing up this letter, and suddenly he packs a whole lot of stuff in just a few verses, And as we look at this, needless to say, as we we look at this, we're gonna see some very important points that he only says one or two words about. Now, the rest of his writings, we see Paul goes into great detail as he's speaking about plenty of these things. But look with me, if you would. And I'm going to read this, perhaps in a little bit different way, but understand why I'm going there, if you would. Beginning in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, To recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. To esteem them very highly in love for their works sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, we encourage you, we, we, we set this before you. We exhort you, brethren. Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with it all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good uh, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, and in this the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. It's kind of like all these little things that he's putting here. It just like packs them in this little bitty space and then he gives this word of blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And then that final prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, Look at this, and we understand, okay, as Paul is writing this, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica while he's in Corinth. Remember, he didn't spend very much time in Thessalonica because of the incoming persecution from the Jews from Philippi, and we covered all that earlier on, so I'm not gonna belabor the point at this, but Paul didn't spend much more than maybe just a couple of months in Thessalonica on the outside. Then he went on down to Corinth, but in that process, he also sent Timothy up, and just kind of give you a little rerun of the the rest of the book, you remember that, that Timothy came back from Thessalonica and told Paul this, this, this great, this glowing report about, man, they're doing great in their walk, they're standing true, they're standing faithful in all of these things. So here, as Paul writes to them, what is believed to be the very first letter to any of the churches that Paul writes he writes to them, again, this, this, this encouragement to continue on, to continue on in that same steadfastness. Now, Paul also encourages them to continue to look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've looked at that over the last couple of weeks as we've gone from chapter four on end to chapter five. They were to live their lives with that, that continual expectation man, that the return of the Lord could be any day. And you want to be found ready. You want to be found active in the master's service. You don't want to be found sleeping or slumbering or or mistreating others or, again, not ready, not prepared. You want to be found ready. So, again, uh, he he speaks to them that there are discernible signs that surround the time of his return. So we need to be ready. So now, in closing, he gives them these last words of instruction, these last words of encouragement and, and warnings. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them, he's speaking of those that labor among you, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Again, first letter, we find Paul is concerned about the church, how the church is treating those who have responsibility of leadership within the church. Now, during his short stay and, and possibly even as Timothy went back to, to Thessalonica, sometime along the way, undoubtedly, they had appointed elders to take on the responsibility of leading that church. These men were to provide the pastoral care for that, that new flock of believers. They, they were in the place of spiritual leadership. They were responsible before God for the care and for the growth of the flock that they were uh, set among. Now the word that Paul uses here when he states to recognize those that labor among you, he's not saying, oh yeah, that's so and so, I recognize. No, that's not what it means. The, the word actually has this implication of to respect them and to appreciate them, to honor them in some way. Not that, not that man is anything. But it's the calling upon the man's life. Now, this portion of the message, I would have been really happy to let somebody else come and teach this portion of the message because it sounds like it's very self-serving at this point in time. But we're just going verse by verse through here, okay? So please understand, it's not about man, but it's about the calling that God has on the man. Once that calling is recognized as valid and it's exercised by the individual in, in, in a proper way, It's that calling within that individual's life that is to be respected, it's to be appreciated, and it's to be honored. The calling of God on an individual's life. Whoever that individual is, wherever it is, once it's recognized as valid, once that individual, again, shows that he's exercising it in a proper way. As a matter of fact, in verse 13, Paul adds to this that we're to esteem them those that have the spiritual authority and leadership within the local church, that we are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I like that, for their work's sake. Esteem them very highly in love because of the calling that's in their life. And the Greek phrase that he uses here is actually very strong. Uh, We are to esteem them very highly, exceedingly, beyond measure is what he's saying. Yet again, I've got to add to the fact that it's not so much man, as it is the calling and the work of the ministry that's connected to the man. Guys, man will fail you. Man will fail you. We dare not place any man, any ministry leader on any kind of a pedestal. The only reason I'm, let's see, one foot above you here is so that you can see me and I can see you, okay? If I was over six foot tall, I probably wouldn't need this, but as it is, I do, but definitely don't put them on a pedestal. There needs to always be, though, that respect for the calling and for the position that God has placed on an individual because of the responsibility that comes with that calling. There's a great responsibility. That's why Paul warns, man, not many of you ought to be teachers because there's gonna be a greater responsibility. You're leading people. You're directing people. So that responsibility is there. We actually find this this theme, this idea, this thought throughout several of the passages that uh, Paul writes in in other of his letters. In speaking of the uh, service and the ministry of a fellow by the name of Epaphroditus, Paul tells the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.29, he says, receive him, speaking of Epaphroditus, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord, and with all gladness. And then he adds, and hold such men in esteem. Why? Because Epaphroditus was ministering to the church. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Worthy of double honor particularly those who labor in the word and the doctrine. The the writer of Hebrews instructs the church in Hebrews chapter three. He says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be very unprofitable for you. So in speaking of letting them do it in joy and not in grief, there's a couple of issues I want to bring before the church this morning. No, not really. Great joy in serving the Lord and serving this body now we don 't need to go through them all, but but there's many similar passages in paul 's letter that that letters that that lead to the same kind of an idea of honoring and and respecting and yes, also supporting the church leadership, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Now back in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, we see that added to the responsibility of, of teaching and equipping, one of the other responsibilities of the church leadership is to admonish the flock. In other words, bring correction whenever it's necessary. You can well imagine that's not the most pleasant part of being a pastor or being in church leadership to have to call somebody, you know, uh, uh, down because of what's going on in their life. Some of you know where my office is here in the church, and some of you have no clue where it's at. Uh, Just this last week, somebody came into my office for the first time and they said, Man, I feel like I'm going to the principal's office, you know. Uh, Now, I know that feeling from high school, I've been there, done that. But this whole idea of admonishing and correcting man, that's for the sake of the individual as well as the whole body to bring instruction and correction in order that the church and the individuals within the church continue to grow in a healthy way, usable for the Lord and his kingdom. And not only within our church, but also within our community and beyond. And with that, we look and we see, we understand that God is going to work within us as we ourselves, as he adds here, that we are to be at peace among ourselves. It's interesting that he adds that right in with that point of, again, man, honor those that are in that place of leadership and be at peace among yourselves. This is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary for the health of the church. You know, if a church is is filled, or or if it's known by its inner bickering, by its discontent, by its backbiting, by its jealousy, or by its gossip. All of those things are going to bring discord. It's going to bring a lack of peace within the congregation, and there's going to be absolutely no way that that church or that body of believers are going to truly impact their community for the things of Christ. No, they're too busy fighting in and among themselves to really have care for the people outside of that fellowship. Again, Paul puts all of that right along with that idea of honoring and obeying those that are in places of leadership. He continues on, look at verse 14. He says, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Man, this instruction that Paul gives here, it's it's, it's so logical. It just makes so much sense. And it's so Christ-like. Do you realize that this is the very way that Christ has dealt with you and I? This idea of warn the unruly. Hey, You're out of line here. What you're doing, the way that you're living, the the words that you're saying, the, the actions that you're taking, man, that's not correct. You need to draw your life back in and under the umbrella of the fellowship that you have with God through Christ. You're being unruly. You need to straighten your life out. You need to start choosing different. Comfort the faint-hearted. Man, some of the battles that some of you go through in life, it just blows me away that you stay consistent, you stay faithful to the things of God. It blesses me as a pastor when I hear, man, all that they're going through, and yet their heart and their life, they're still trusting the Lord. We're to bring comfort to those that are faint-hearted, beloved, because this world will wear you down. Amen? It will wear you down. He's saying this to the brethren. Oh, and to the cistern too, okay? Uh, to, to, uh, not the cistern, that's something different. <laughs> to the sisters, okay? He's saying it to all of us, that, that all of us as the body of Christ, we're to be doing this. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. We ought to be comforting one another, encouraging one another. Uphold the weak. What do you mean uphold the weak? Don't we just tell them, hey, get strong, man. Stand up, stop that. No, I, I see in the word too many times where it says, Man, you know, lift up those weary hands of another. you know, strengthen those feeble knees. That's why we read in the word that says, Hey, you that are spiritual, man, you need to go and encourage that that one that's fallen down, that one that's struggling. That's what we're called to do. We're called to live life together, to encourage one another in that way. Not to put down, but to, to encourage and be patient with all, with all. And I don't know about you, but we all need that, don't we? We all need that patience. Open our hearts. Us from within by the open
0: word. As followers of Jesus, we will face persecution in this world. There are many who refuse to acknowledge the truth and perfect love of the Savior, And thanks to the influence of the enemy, they'll try to thwart our attempts to share the gospel. This isn't a new development, however. Persecution of Jesus' disciples has happened since the beginning. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to the taunts and misleading teaching. We can be like the Thessalonian church of which we've been studying with Pastor David, becoming examples to those around us who believe. You never know who may be watching and who might come to know Jesus through your perseverance. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on The Open Word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians? Pastor
1: David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com.
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for joining us today for The Open Word.